right. Did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? Ours was really good until the last day, and 17 out of the 30 people got, like, the worst stomach bug imaginable. Not me, thank goodness, otherwise I would not be here. Um, but, yeah, it was, there's some stories I could tell. Um, but we're here, so we made it. Um, so the other day, I had, or a couple weeks ago, Luke had a birthday, uh, which he's actually there in the back. Are you listening? Yay! Yeah, hopefully that goes well back there. Um, so he had a birthday party, and he decided he wanted an arcade laser tag party. And if you don't know what that means, that means chaos. Um, imagine releasing 15 five to eight-year-old kids in the arcade on a Saturday night when it is busy. I don't know what I was thinking, but we did it. And it was already chaos in the room before because I like fed them pizza and root beer and they're like running around the table and like unwrapping gifts. And then I released them to the arcade and they just like scattered like ants because I didn't think ahead and say like, grab a buddy. You know, I think I yelled at them and said, don't talk to strangers. And that's pretty much all I said. Um, I mean, it was insane. The kids had a blast, but my husband and I were just, you know, slightly stressed because I'm in charge of these humans that don't belong to me. And so I'm like making the laps. And so really there are times in your life, like at six-year-old arcade parties, when you need just a little more structure in your life, right? Like the enjoyment will come so much more if there's just a little bit of structure. And I am all about structure and planning. And I know not everyone is like that. A lot of you are just like, you know, live and let live, like you do you, things will work out great. And that's great, but think about it. Like think about if you're like at a football game and there's no structure, there's no ref, there's no rules. And then the dance team decides they wanna go out and dance even though the game is still being played because they, hey, they just feel like it. And then maybe the crowd wants to run the field just because that looks fun. I mean, that would be chaos, right? Like it just wouldn't go well. So sometimes there's more freedom and enjoyment in the thing itself if there's some structure built around it. And so today in our passage, Paul is going to address the church of Corinth and try and bring some order and structure into the chaos that was happening in their worship. So this um, is one of those chapters that when I was younger, or I'll be honest, even just like probably a year ago, I would look at it and I would pretty much just skim over it or skip it because the Bible titles it Prophecy in Tongues. And I was just like, I don't know, that's not for me, right? So I'm just going to skip over that. But you might be tempted to do the same. But if this is God's word, that means we can learn something about God. And that is always, always to our benefit. And so God was very smart and was like, well, you're going to skip it. Then you will teach on it. Thank you, Lord. Um, so something we have seen often in this book of Corinthians is Paul is encouraging the people to be self-sacrificing, right? Have you noticed that theme? Like lay down your selfishness, lay down your pride, and live this others-centered life like Christ. And sometimes that means laying down your freedoms in order to benefit the other person. And so chapters 12 through 14, they're kind of a package deal. And so in 12, he talks about the spiritual gifts that we all have. And he says the same thing like he does in the rest of the book. And he says that we should use our gifts like in all things to glorify God and to love others. So love God, love others. Sounds familiar, right? It's what Jesus answered back in Matthew when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and 
love your neighbor as yourself. And so those are the two, two things. So when we're using our spiritual gifts, the purpose of a spiritual gift is to glorify God the way and love others the way Christ does. And so then he gets to, to 14. You know, he's done this broad sweep of spiritual gifts. And then last week we saw him talk about love and what that looks like within our life. And then now he is going to hone in on two specific, very visible gifts, and that is prophecy and tongues and the purpose of using them within the church. So um, this is probably probably the hardest talk I've ever written, um, maybe because I didn't want to do it. Um, no, because when I was looking at commentaries, literally everything I would read or listen to or people I would talk to all gave me very different views. And that was very, very challenging. So really, I'm just going to try my hardest to do justice to this word and really just say what God has revealed in scripture. And like you should always do is you should always be able to, whatever people say up here, it should be backed up with scripture. That's important life lesson for you. So 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 says, pursue love. There's that love again. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So, I mean, we've got like ping-ponging back and forth, right? It's like a tongues versus prophecy situation. So first off, what is going on in the church that Paul feels like he needs to compare these two gifts? So the church was obsessed with these more miraculous gifts that were happening. They were very visible. They were very exciting. And sometimes we can be very quick to put certain gifts up on a pedestal, right? And think that these must be better because they're right here. They're just in your face. Where these other ones are not as good because you just don't see them as often, right? And so those must not be the cool gifts. But that's a pride issue, right? We put this like hierarchy on things and we think like we want to be at the top, but we want to be recognized. Like we want to have the cool gift, right? But what we talked about last few weeks ago is all gifts are important and vital in working together as a body of believers. I think about impact. I did the math, and there are about 160 adults just in the background putting impact together. And so, I mean, in a lot of those, you don't even see. But really, think about how important it is, because without those people working in the background, how would they get all 120 of you to your clubs three times a day? Or how would you get the supplies that you need? They don't just like miraculously fill up your basket, right? Or how would you, um, how would anyone know what's happening without somebody coordinating it all in the background? Or most importantly, how would you eat without somebody coordinating that and getting all the food together and serving the food? And I don't know about you, but I really look forward to the food after being in 100 degree weather running around after children, right? And so... There's all of these different gifts, and every gift is vital and important for building up the church for the purpose of sharing the gospel. So the Corinthian church had created this chaos in their church service because people were actually speaking over each other, and they were interrupting just to express this gift they had. And it was chaotic, and it was also confusing to non-believers coming or an outsider coming in. So the whole point of a gift is what? Paul actually says it at the end of this passage. 
so that the church may be built up. So the gospel can be known. So now let's talk about what these two gifts are. So the first one is tongues. So tongues is a form of prayer or praise to God in a language you do not understand. Now, there is a form of tongues that we'll see in scripture sometimes that talks about like groanings of the spirit or like mysteries of the spirit. And that is a personal communication, a personal prayer between you and God. But also what we do know, what we see most of the time, and in this passage, what we see is that the word tongues here in Greek translates to languages. So it is speaking another language without previously knowing that language before. So if you go back to Acts 2, Dave actually brought this up last week too. If you go back to Acts, this is where we see it for the very first time. People are using this gift. So it's at Pentecost. So Jesus has died on the cross. He is resurrected. He came back and visited a bunch of people and then he ascended, right? And he said, just wait for me, wait for a helper. So these people are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. So this is what happens in Act 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. So it's the Holy Spirit. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So the Spirit, Holy Spirit comes on them, and they began to speak other languages. And so it says that there were other people living in Jerusalem or living in Israel that were from other nations. And so they had all come and gathered around so that they were hearing people speak their native language. And so they're like, are not these Galileans? As in, are not these Jewish people who speak Hebrew? And yet you see they are speaking my native language that they didn't know before. And so they're all astonished and amazed. And so God did this miraculous thing and he gave this gift to them to spread the gospel to the nations. It's just like he promised back in Genesis to Abraham. Remember how, you know, with Abraham, he's like, look at the stars. You know, the, if you can number the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have, right? And I'm going to bless you and your family. And through you, all the nations will be blessed in Genesis 22. And so here we see the gospel is being taken now to the nations. It's like a reversal of what happened in Babel. The Tower of Babel, you know, they all had one language and God confused their languages, spread them out. And then now he's bringing them all back together and, and uniting people by giving them this gift of being able to speak someone else's language. In Acts 10, we see the same thing. The Holy Spirit comes onto Gentiles. So Gentile is someone who is not a Jew. And so this was actually really important for the apostles to see because then it just further proved the point that the gospel was for all people. Like God came for all people, not just the Jewish people. And so it said in Acts, when this happened, they began speaking different languages and extolling God. So there's moments like this in Acts and other places where we see this sign, and it's a sign for people to see this validity of God and his message. So God used tongues as an impetus in spreading the good news and forming the early church, um, and they, they used it a lot then. And Paul, when Paul describes it in chapter 14, he says that tongues is speaking to God, not man, unless you have someone to interpret what is being said. 
Otherwise, it's only building yourself up. It's just this personal communication that's happening between you and God. It's, it's worship. But if you have someone to translate, then others will know what they're saying. But if not, they're not going to know what's happening. There's a quote from Andrew Wilson. It says, the purpose of a gift in the gathered church is to edify people, not to parade our spirituality. And gifts can't be edifying if they aren't intelligible. So we're going to pause here and we're going to go talk about prophecy and then we'll compare the two. So now prophecy. Prophecy is speaking God's word into a situation. So while tongues can be more like a personal prayer and praise from you to God, prophecy is God speaking to people. So it's something that God puts on the mind of the speaker. So Charles Spurgeon says that it's an urging of the spirit. Now, it's not like the Old Testament prophets. You know, in the Old Testament, you see these prophets come and have this really authoritative word of God, and they come up to a nation, and they're like, God is judging you. You know, you got to do this, this, and this. So this is not what this is right here. This is something that God has put on someone's heart for them to share. And since we are human, since we are, we do make mistakes, you have to check what they're saying and make sure that it's biblical. And so it, it even says in verse 29, Paul says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. So he's saying you need to use discernment on what is being said and make sure it lines up with what God has already told us in scripture. In verse 3, Paul says that prophecies are for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So that's why people feel like this isn't the same as the Old Testament prophets that we've seen before because that was pronouncing judgment on people, right? And so this is, Paul is saying prophecy is to build up, to encourage, to comfort people, and also used to reveal the hearts of people to grow them into a deeper faith with God and bring them to repentance. Have you ever had a moment when someone just said something to you that just really struck you right at the heart? I mean, it would be like somebody interrupting you and just being like, hold on, I have to tell you this. And then what they tell you is so convicting that it just moves you to draw closer to God or it moves you to God's truth. That's how I imagine that this is. And sometimes people may not even realize that they're doing it. Um, It can be on stage, but it can be you know, a personal one-on-one as well. But it's this prompting of the Spirit to speak a truth to someone. So now, Paul is comparing these two gifts in this chapter, and he says in it, he prefers prophecy over tongues. But the thing is, the problem is not the gift. The problem was with the way they were using the gift. The practice had become selfish, and they were drawing attention to themselves, and they were wanting to impress others. So they were basically getting caught up in the moment and expressing it and they were even interrupting, talking over one another. And Paul's saying, if you speak in another language, that's great. But only do it if someone can translate. We're only going to do this if we can build up the church. So he's trying to give some order into their service. He's basically saying, like, you have to take turns, right? So in verse 26, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. So he's saying, he's trying to bring structure into their worship, right? He's saying, take turns, which means that you're not going to be so overcome with this gift that you're not aware and able to, like, set aside and let the other person go and share. You know, the early church service looked 
a lot different than it does now. I mean, we come to church, right, and you kind of come for what only one or two people have prepared. We sit down, we say, okay, what is Dave going to teach us? What is the worship band going to do? And that's kind of our service, right? Well, the ancient service that used to happen was very different. It was almost kind of like a potluck style, like a lot of people brought stuff to it. So people would come to the service, and then the main person would usually designate people to do different things and say, okay, you're going to read the prayer, you're going to read the law, you're going to read the prophets, you're going to interpret, you're going to teach. So he would like give all these people different things to do. And so a lot of people had input. Men and women would share during this service. And so it wasn't just one person. And so obviously our modern church service has evolved a lot since then, right? But a lot of people would be speaking. And it was getting to the point in here where their mentality was more like, if you have it, flaunt it. Like, regardless if it's the appropriate time, let's just do it. Or regardless if it's helpful. And in verse 33, uh, Paul says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So if we want to to have this peaceful setting, if we want to understand and be moved and grow and learn, there does have to be some structure. Obviously, you have to take turns. You need someone to interpret So in verse 28, he even says, But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. (coughs) Sorry. If no one can translate, it says then you stay silent because you're only benefiting yourself. So think about how isolating it could be if you come into a group, a service, or any group really, and it's just like chaos. Or imagine they're all speaking a language that you don't understand. I mean, that's pretty isolating, right? So it reminds me of when I went to Argentina. I got to do a study abroad there in college. I think it was my third year, maybe. I don't know. I was only 20 years old, and I think my parents maybe thought I knew Spanish better than I really did. I'm kind of surprised they let me go because, guys, I could read it and kind of write it, but hearing it and speaking it, not so much. So I landed by myself in Argentina, and I had to figure out how to ask the taxi to take me to this place to meet up with my program, and I have never felt so isolated, so alone, and honestly so afraid, because I had heard all these stories about American girls getting abducted, and the taxis, and the safe taxis, there were two taxis. There were the sketchy ones and the safe ones. So people were getting abducted in the safe ones, so I took the sketchy taxis everywhere I went. I have never prayed so hard Man, that is a lesson in prayer. And, but I didn't know how to communicate, so I couldn't really ask the person if they were driving the right way, and I didn't know where we were going. So, I mean, there's just these moments of feeling so alone because I couldn't communicate, and that just, that happens, right? And have you, are y'all in a, raise your hand if you take a language. Take, raise your hand if you take Spanish. What about French? One two French, three. Any German? There we go. Okay, so I love learning languages. I'm actually not naturally good at it, but I like it. So it's just, you know, how I like to challenge myself. That's all I like to do is sign up for things I'm not good at. So one of the hardest thing in learning a language, which I don't know if you've noticed this yet, is that there's always these different dialects, right? So like different countries So uh, across all the Spanish-speaking countries, there's a ton. 
But within each country, they're going to have different words that mean different things. And even within the country, the different section of the country, like different cultures, and there's different dialects. So um, I quickly learned in Argentina, you know, if you want to, like, leave in a taxi, you would think it would be salir in taxi, right? Salir means to leave. And so I would just think, like, my textbook Spanish would say, well, I'm going to salir in taxi. Well, I quickly learned, somebody told me that that implies prostitution, and I, so I was like, oh, I don't want to salir in a taxi. No, no, no. So I had to learn a new verb. And there was stuff like that all the time that just have different meanings. And then you find yourself in situations that people don't understand you. Thankfully, they just usually ignore you. But um, it happens, right? Language, learning languages is, is frustrating. But Paul brings this up in verse 10, and he says, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. He's saying all languages have different meanings. And if I, you don't understand it, you don't understand what you're trying to say, how are you going to learn and grow in your faith? How is that going to impact you and push you? It reminds me of Romans 12 when it says, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? You know, they need to understand. They need to really be able to hear if it's going to penetrate their heart and they're going to believe the gospel. There was one time in Paris, I got to visit for like three days. And when I went, I memorized the three most important phrases that you need if you go to France. And that is, je m'appelle Megan. So my name is Megan. Um, je voudrais un pain au chocolat. I want a chocolate croissant because that's all you need to eat there. And then, où est le toilet? Where's the toilet? That's all you need when you go to France for three days, let me tell you. Okay, but then what happened is we were visiting the Eiffel Tower and very European style, the bathrooms were not working. So you had to go find the porta potty that they set up somewhere. So I had to go and ask people where the potty was. And um, I was so excited because I had my, you know, I had my French phrase memorized. And so I like went up to someone and asked them where the toilet was. And then, you know, they started speaking back to me. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I would just hope that they would like give me some, you know, hand signals. Because if not, I was like, like one guy didn't. And I was like, well, that didn't help me at all because I have no idea what you said. So then I went to the next guy and he was like, oh, yeah, it's something French, something French. And so I was like, okay, it's this way. And so then I went two blocks and then I had to ask the next guy, right? Because I didn't actually know any words besides chocolate and toilet in French. And so Paul says in here, He says in verse 9, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And that is what it feels like when someone tries to tell you where the bathroom is in French. It's like speaking into the air. I have no idea. And so he says tongues is a great gift. If you're going to use it, have an interpreter. Somebody needs to be able to translate. So verse 14, "If, If I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. You won't be able to resonate with those words if you don't know what they're saying. And then he also just pounds it in more in verse 19 when he says, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So 10,000 is actually the highest number in Greek, right? So what he's doing is he's basically saying like infinity. I would rather speak five words that you can understand over infinity words that you cannot understand if it means that it brings you closer to God, if it means that you are um, moved further in God's truth. 
So this is why he compares these two gifts. He says that prophecy is understood. It builds up others. It encourages. It hopefully convicts them, gets to the heart, and moves them into a deeper faith, which tongues can also do too if it is used properly. So that's kind of the point of this whole thing. This is the proper use of this gift. The uh, great theologian, Tim Cartwright, spoke on this talk a few years ago, and he said, when a spiritual gift is being used to draw attention to ourselves or build ourselves up, we're allowing it to be hijacked by our sinful nature. And that is so true. The point of the gift is not ourselves. So when we use our gifts, are we going to use it to build up others for the purpose of sharing the gospel, or are we going to use it to look impressive or stand out? Now, just when you thought this chapter couldn't get any more fun, verse 34, he says, The women should keep silent in church, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. This is awkward. <laughs> so, this is why. This is a wonderful example, guys, of when you don't just take something out of Scripture and you're like, see, God hates half the population. There's my reasoning right there. Okay, God has been very clear from the very beginning. We're all made in his image and all valuable, right? So we have to be students of the whole Bible. You cannot just take random verses out. I could have left this verse out, thought about it, because I kind of just dropped a bomb in here. Um, but I didn't, because here's why. We get lots of input on this topic from the world, right? And it would be really easy to just take it and run with it without doing any digging on ourselves. And sometimes we see pictures like this. This is a real thing somebody put on their car um, in Virginia. Women shall be silent. <laughs> Did you notice it says God said it, so believe it. Um, and actually he was interviewed and he wasn't actually like a proponent of the Bible saying like, this is, I believe in God and he hates women. What he was saying is God hates women, so that's why you shouldn't be a Christian. So, I mean, either way, it's wrong. Um, but we could easily take stuff like this and be like, wow, God's holding out on me, right? But here's the thing, is that we cannot do that. We can't go in with our assumptions that the, cultural, the culture tells us. You have to do digging yourself. So you first need to ask, are you going to let God's word teach you and challenge you? Or are you going to bring in preconceived ideas into, from the culture that let you dictate what you think? So you have to be really cautious when you're appro approaching hard verses. So let's look at it. What is going on here, Paul? Okay, so think about this. What have the past 30 verses just been talking about? Paul isn't having some squirrel moment. He talks a lot, but his words always flow together. So he's not being random. He was just discussing tongues and prophecy. For what purpose? And it was for the purpose of bringing some order into the church, some structure, right? He's saying, like, what is the proper use of them so they can actually benefit and grow as a body of believers, so people were talking over one another. They were being selfish and showing off their gifts, and there was chaos and confusion. That's why Paul says in verse 33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So then he starts talking about women, and says women should keep silent. Now, is Paul saying women should not speak in church at all? 
because I definitely saw a lot of you speaking earlier. So, um, so let's allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? That's what you do when you're studying the Bible. Let other Scripture interpret Scripture. So first off, earlier in this chapter alone, in verse 26, says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. It says, each one. So it's referring to men and women. Remember how we talked about the ancient church service, how a lot of people, different people would have parts? That was men and women sharing in this service. And then in chapter 11, just a few chapters ago, he talks about what women should wear when, when they're prophesying. So he wouldn't have gone through the whole head covering thing, right? If he wasn't talking about them prophesying in front of all these people and praying in front of all these people. And so they had a pivotal part um, doing this in the church service. And then chapter 12 also talks about um, how each one of us have a spiritual gift and how we should use that within the church. And then Titus 2.4 commissions women to teach other women. 2 Timothy 1.5 talks about women training up others. There's a few places in Acts where you see women prophesying. Paul even meets, sorry guys, Paul even meets a few different women um, who are important figures in the church, Phoebe and Lydia. And there was even a female judge named Deborah. So no, I don't think Paul is saying women should not speak at all in church. Because as we've seen from just that scripture alone, that is false. And so scripture should line up with other scripture. And if it doesn't, then you need to do some other digging to understand it better. So women have a crucial role in the church, as we just saw. God wants us all to use our gifts. Women's insights are just as valuable. And there are many vital ways that women do this within the church body. Obviously, TBC wouldn't have allowed me to speak up here if they didn't agree with that. Also, I don't know if you know, we have a women's pastor who's in charge of all of women's ministry. Our children's pastor is also a woman. And then our whole staff actually just went to a, a ministry leader conference, and half the speakers were women. So, yes, women do have an important role to play in ministry. So this language that Paul is using when he says keep silent, this is not new language. This is actually the third time he has told people in this service to be quiet. Um, so it's the word segeo, means to keep silence. So he says it three times. He says, if you are speaking tongues and there's no interpreter, you need to be silent. Then he says about prophecy. If you, in the verse it says that if, if someone is prophesying and then someone else gets another prophecy, the first person needs to be silent to let the other person have a turn. So take turns basically, right? It's like when my kids talk to me all at the same time. I can't understand it. So one needs to stop and take turns. Be silent. And so then now he is saying, women, be silent. So what, obviously there's something happening that's making him call them out. And there are two different thoughts on what is happening. So the first one is there were some women in the church who were interrupting in the middle of the prophecy, and they were weighing in. And what that means is it would be kind of like if Dave was speaking up here and then one of you came up and interrupted him in the middle and we were just like, no, I don't think so. I think you're wrong, and here's why. Um, I mean, it's rude, first off, right? Like, no matter who you are, it's disrespectful in any setting, especially in that culture. But they were also trying to take on the role of an elder, 
which is only for a select few people in the church to do that, to weigh in, as in like to judge what is being said, to make sure it's biblical. And so the other thought of what was happening potentially is the verb form of the word to speak implied that the women were also just going on and on and on and wouldn't finish the thought. And so they wouldn't submit their freedom of speaking to stop and allow others a turn. Have you ever been in a small group when someone just has a perfect analogy and just won't stop talking until you can't ever get, you know, you get like a glazed look and it's just everyone's zoned out, right? It's just not helpful to people. Like you may have the freedom to share your thoughts and they may be great thoughts, but you also need to recognize that others need a turn to share um, for the betterment of the group. So the words to be silent does mean stop talking. And the more, majority of the time we see it in the New Testament, it says to hold one's peace. So when he, when he says that bit about go ask your husbands at home, right, he's saying hold your peace. It is not the time or place to have this discussion. And when you get home, you can dispute it and you can hash it out and you can learn it. And what's actually happening culturally at that time, um, women were not educated and not always seen as equal Right? And so Paul is saying, go home and take the time to learn it and figure out what it is. So he's actually giving them more worth than the culture dictated at the time by saying, invest in this and figure out so that you can learn. But doing it in the middle of someone else's talk and trying to take over their role is not the time nor the place. So I think the biggest thing that Paul is emphasizing here is, is to exercise humility right? We lay down our rights to submit to one another out of love and al allowing there to be structure and different roles so the others can benefit and grow in their faith. So if these women were trying to weigh in at that moment the way they were, they were trying to take over another's role. And it was the job of the elder who, that, to uh, take what someone prophesied it and judge it to scripture and make sure it was biblical. Now, in 1 Timothy, God is clear that the role of an elder will fall on men. And God has given that spiritual re responsibility to select men of the church. But it's not about being in charge or being the boss. You know how our human brains like to make that hierarchy sometimes, right? But biblical leadership, like we've seen Christ modeled, is, is being a servant and laying down your life and your rights for others. And like we mentioned before, that does not change the worth or value of a woman just because God has laid out this, this order or structure for the church in a certain way. He's commissioned women to teach just in as many other areas. So like we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, we all have gifts and we're called to use them for God's glory. So let's lay out a structure. Let's, let's use our different gifts in the most beneficial way that God has designed for each of us. And there is a, a beauty in God's design if we just trust him. So Paul is is going down this list of things happening in the church, right? And he's showing them the proper use of each gift and saying this is how we work together to build up one another. So when we have order and respect and submission for one another, that allows us to worship God more freely and display a beautiful picture of the gospel. So we want to respect the order that God has established for the church. In the very beginning, when God created the world, he created order out of chaos, right? Out of nothing. And he brought in order. And so the church is a beautiful reflection of God's creation. 
And you think about like a husband and a wife is such a beautiful reflection of Christ and the church, which also reflects Christ's submission to the Father. And so there's this image of submission. <coughs> Sorry, I'm trying to not have my cold right here. There's this beautiful image of submission and respect to one another. And we want to reflect the order that God has established. Because like we talked about at the beginning, bringing order and structure is actually freezes up to display the gospel and know God more fully. So Paul is using the same language throughout the chapter, saying you should choose to submit to one another and be silent. We're all called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ so the gospel can be displayed. Just as Christ humbled himself, like consider this, he is Lord and he came down in human form, humbled himself to take on all of our sins and submitted to the Father. That doesn't make Christ's role any less important than the Father or the Holy Spirit is not any less God even though the role is different. And so men and women may have different roles at times, but they're each valuable and crucial in the church body, in the marriage, in life. So we need to seek to use our gifts in a humble manner for the building up of others. I think we can just get this pride sometimes thinking, well, like, I want to reach the top, right? It's kind of a Western mindset. We see the top, we, we, we make up our own, and we think, okay, this looks like the best, so therefore I have to get up here. But that is worldly thinking. That's not of God. That's not humility. That's definitely not what our servant, Savior, Jesus Christ, displayed when he washed people's feet, dirtied himself with the sick, and then died for sins that were not his own. That's not what he has displayed. So we should humble ourselves and be willing to submit to God's word instead of God's word submitting to us. We all should submit to God's design and stop trying to make ourselves Savior and Lord. So I think about Romans 9.20 when it says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded? Say to the molder. Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? We're the clay. God is the potter. So who am I to say to God, my creator, what gifts I should have, when I should use them, and what role I should have? Because if my aim is to love and glorify God, then I should seek to be content in the way that he has designed his people and, and trust that he does know what he's doing, and it's for our good. I should be willing to lower myself for the sake of lifting God higher for the sake of others' good. So this is what the Corinthians need to learn. So there's a lot of different views on these gifts. And some people think they've ceased, right? Like they, God only used it for forming the early church and then now they're gone. And then some people think that if you don't speak in tongues every day, then you should check your faith, right? I think they're both extremes. What I will say is in verse 1 when Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He said, desire them, as in like hope that they will, that you have them. And so yes, I, I mean, do you think God could maybe speak through us in whatever way and however he wants? I would think so. Because who am I to tell the spirit when to move and how to move? And just because we don't see tongues as often here, am I going to put God in a box and say, well, I'm not comfortable with that. So like that doesn't happen. So I definitely think God can still speak through us through these gifts or any gift. But the point behind any gift is that we use it to draw ourselves and others closer to God. So our desire should not be to display our gifts for getting attention, but that God and God alone is known and glorified. 
So let me ask you, are you going to use your gifts to build up the church, to, to help others grow in their faith? Our motive should always be to share the gospel clearly in a way that it moves people for God's love for them. You know, in the chapter when Paul says build up or edify, he says it seven times, which is a lot. So clearly he's like pounding in this point, right? And then in Romans 14, 19, he says, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. So, you know, the, these three chapters are really a, a package deal and it really all ties together. And if you think about it, really, it's our love for others and our love for God should trump our right to express ourselves in whatever way we want because we should consider others more important and build up others' faith instead of just always focusing on ourselves. So like he says in verse 1, desire the spiritual gifts that God has given you, but more importantly, pursue God and love others. All right, I'm going to pray and then we can break out. Um, Lord, we just thank you. Uh, Thank you for challenging passages like this, God, that really challenge our faith But I pray that when we meet with um, conflicting ideas and we meet with ideas in the world that that seem to go against what you say, God, I pray that that we would use that to dig in further, to understand your truth, Lord, that you would reveal to us um, your goodness, Lord, and um, that we we have to recognize that we are finite, Lord, and we don't always understand um, everything, God. But I just pray that you uh, continue to reveal Uh, your word to us, Lord, and that would be, we would seek you above all things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all can break out.